Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s. And Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey. We created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. And Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How's that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with my anxiety, especially during the holiday season. And the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. Today, we wanted to talk about Ned's brand new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. We recently got our hands on a bottle and could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. The one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health and cardamom combat stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1500 five-star reviews and they work with incredible partners within the medical field, like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. 
If you want to try the new de-stress blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. For the holidays, Courageous Wellness listeners get 20% off Ned products with code CWPODCAST. And when you spend more than $150, Ned is throwing in free gifts with every order. So visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash CW podcast to get 20% off plus free gifts with orders over $150. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a great episode this week with Greta Wyeth, who um, talks all about the function and importance of the pelvic floor and, um, how she incorporates functional movement to strengthen all of that. Um, she has a Pilates practice and we're going to go all into that, but before we do, we're going to do our quick updates as we usually do before our episode. So Erica, is there anything you want to weigh in on or share? Yes. Um, before we share our quick little update. Um, in a second, I just also want to remind everyone that tickets are now live to our annual virtual fundraising event with the West side food bank. All proceeds will be donated directly to the West side food bank, which is fighting food insecurity in the West side of Los Angeles. And, you know, the West side food bank's mission is to really end hunger in our community by providing access to free nutritious food through food acquisition and distribution and really engage the community, um, and advocating for strong food assistance. And this organization is really near and dear to both of our hearts. And this is actually our third year doing a fundraising event for them. Um, our first year was at Owl Venice, um, that was live pre pandemic. And last year we had a beautiful, um, virtual live conversation. And this year we decided to do something different. And so with, um, your ticket purchase, it's $20. And again, the link is in our show notes now. So with, um, your ticket purchase of $20, you get this really fun right away, healthy holiday, happy hour video. Um, with Allie and I, and Allie really curated the menu and put this together. And it's so fun. It's almost like a virtual happy hour cooking class minus the cooking. Cause it's just, we make a cocktail and a mocktail, um, a really fun appetizer and a sweet treat that, you know, all promote blood sugar stabilization. So everything is really about eating and drinking yummy things, but also feeling good during after the next day. So it's a really fun video and you get to cook and not even cook, but make, <laughs> make and put together some fun, um, drinks and appetizers. And yeah. So with your price of ticket, you get that, um, emailed to you right away this year. And if you're a Patreon member, you already have access to that video. It went live on Monday. So we're hope you're, we hope you enjoy it, but yeah, the West side food bank is just such an incredible organization. And we're so happy to offer this healthy holiday, happy hour video, um, as a thank you for your donation to, to the organization. So yeah, yes. check that out. Links in our show notes, in our link tree on Instagram. And if you subscribe to our newsletter that was already sent out this week. So yeah. yeah. And, um, just a quick 
thing. They do this like million meals march or something like that. It's called. And at this time of year, I think through some matching donations, a $1 donation is the equivalent of eight meals that are able to be provided. So your, your $20 donation really does go a long way. So thank you again for that. And we hope you enjoy the um, healthy holiday happy hour video. It was, it was a lot of fun to make. Um, yeah. It was like our little holiday party. We got yeah, to get together. It was, two of us. <laughs> it was, it was really fun. And I'm actually not like very skilled in making cocktails or mocktails or anything. I'm good at baking, but that's about it. So, um, Allie really guides us through and, and you can learn with me in the video. It's, it's really fun. But, um, but Allie, are there any other, what else is going on? I know off, off conversation, we were both crying about the, um, sex in the city reboot. So, um, if we you were. haven't watched, we're not going to do any, spoilers. we're not going to do any spoilers. No, but- we don't need to go that deep into it. But, um, if you haven't watched well, and you care to watch, watch. And then also, I don't know if you're an old fan, prepare thyself is all we can say. It was, it was rough. The first two episodes, which have are the ones that have been released. It was. Um, And there have been a lot of mixed reviews, right? Where people like, you know, are angry or they're not going to continue watching or, you know, they didn't enjoy it. They will. They will. I don't buy that. I I'm going to continue watching. I'm actually really excited after you get through the first two episodes, I'm really excited about where the season is going to go. Although I do think, and we talked about this a little, I know there's like mixed feelings on this, but I do think, as we all know, Kim Cattrall didn't return to the show to play Samantha. So this isn't even a spoiler. So I think we can talk about it, but I don't know. I have mixed feelings about how they decided to address the falling out between the characters. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about that, but I understand why they needed to do it, but yeah, it just, it made me sad. I feel like they could have given Samantha a little more integrity in her character in her departure. Oh, interesting. I didn't think that it didn't give her integrity. I think, I don't know you get really like one side of it for sure, but we, we know that. And then there are moments that we see, hmm, I don't want to give too much away, but like, like love from that character too. So I actually found it all as much as I was like bummed about a lot of it, to be honest, I found it all very, very like believable. Mm. All of it, not just the Samantha storyline, like a lot of what happens. And I think, um, I mean, and it's heightened, it's heightened to television show kind of way, of course, but, um, from a, from a writing perspective, like a lot of the choices that they made, whether they make the audience happy or not makes sense from a writer's perspective. And the thing that I'm, you know, it took me like a little time to warm into the first episode because I feel like it almost felt like the actors were like trying those old clothes back on where it's like, it wasn't totally warmed into the old characters, but that progressed. And I think what they're tackling is the aging process for these characters and culturally like what that means and the awkwardness of like the growing pains of that in the stage of life that they're currently in. And it's like, that doesn't change just because you become older. And I think it's important to see, like, we don't have a ton of like 
representation. There's so much ageism. I feel like it's an ism that doesn't get talked about as much except for like, oh, well, there's no roles for women in Hollywood. Like, yeah, that's an old conversation, but it's like, no, I'm talking about like from the point of view, like it's not that we don't have older characters, but like are the storylines ever about getting older? Yeah. And like the realities of that, both for the men and women in this story. Yeah, no, I loved it. I loved seeing them on screen. I loved Miranda in her full gray hair. I loved it. I also, I like, I also recently watched on Netflix that Brooke Shields Christmas movie. Oh what yeah. With it? Carrie Elwes. It's from, it's like one of those like Christmas. It's almost like a Hallmark movie, but for yeah. Netflix. Like the guy from the princess bride. Yeah. yeah. Carrie Elwes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that was good. And it was just so nice to see like older women on screen, yeah. right? Like who are the full, center who are having a story of their own, who are having a story of their own. Exactly. And not like serving really, a younger person's story. Exactly. So I really appreciated I've, I've appreciated seeing that just recently on my screen and I've enjoyed, I, I did enjoy, or I'm, I'm, I, I cried a lot during the reboot, but I'm excited to enjoy the reboot of sex in the city. And I did enjoy that Netflix Christmas movie. And, um, and I am, I know what they're trying to do too, is I don't know if Kim Cattrall will ever come back, but cause she turned down $10 million to be on the show. Um, I think that's, Ooh, that's the, the tea. Yeah. Some juice. Um, I read like that was the offer she turned down. So I don't know what it would take for her to come back, but they're definitely leaving a door open if she wanted to come back. I also didn't feel like when in the first episode, when Sarah Jessica Parker was doing the acting with Miranda talking about Samantha, I was like, that's not acting. She's pissed. Like you could really feel the anger in that scene. I like, it was very honest and, and real. And, um, yeah, I don't know. And friendships I love- ebb and flow. Like that to me feels realistic that like I've known people who were friends for 30 years who are not anymore. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that happens. It's so and sad. Like, and I think happens. also like it, it does happen. And I think, you know, something I was having a conversation with another friend about too, is our society puts so much emphasis on romantic partnership, right? Like so much emphasis on family in romantic partnership. That's how you create your own family. Right. And, um, I think that's a little, that's, it's, it's, it's off a little bit because we don't really value, I mean, societally and culturally, right. We don't value our non-romantic partnerships and relationships. Right. And so to me watching that, it is like, it's like a death or a divorce, right. To lose a friend that you've had of 30 years. And I personally, like I, I value my husband and my romantic partnership, so much. And he's everything to me, but I also really value my friendships and and I have friendships who aren't, I I know a lot of people who aren't in romantic partnership. Right. And it doesn't make it any less if you're soulmates. And I feel like that's something sex and the city does so well, right. Where, you know, they are each other's soulmates too. And, um, I did love in the second episode, there is a part where like Miranda was being a little awful to a bartender, but she was like, I'm family. Give me a drink. But it's nice hearing that, right? Like that these people are family, chosen family. Um, But it's just interesting. Like I think Sex and the City does bring up a lot of conversation. And I think they are trying to or starting to address a lot of the criticism that the show has received over the years through um, introducing different characters, having difficult conversations through their characters evolution. 
it's really good. We recommend it. Just get some tissues if you haven't watched it yet. And yeah. if you have slide into our DM so we can talk about it, Ali, you watched it after me. And I was like, um, I think it was the analog girl was like posting about it. And I wanted to respond to her story so much, um, and like DM her, but I was like, no, Ali hasn't watched it yet. So I have to wait. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah. Um, let us know your thoughts if, if you've watched it too. Yes. Let's get to the episode though. We have a, we have a lot of good info from Greta this week. So, um, let's introduce her. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Greta Wyeth, a nationally certified and STAT certified Pilates teacher and the founder of Still Point Movement. Greta's work is rooted in science and dedicated to the interrelatedness of form and function in the human body. She believes that knowledge of your own body along with how and why it moves can inform and inspire healthy movement patterns. Greta teaches her clients how to find effective movement patterns and the muscle activation that promotes strength, balance, and alignment. She is a wealth of knowledge and today shares her own personal journey of using Pilates to transform her own chronic pain. We have a great conversation on the importance of body care and also the function and importance of the pelvic floor. It was such a wonderful, informative conversation, and we appreciate Greta for sharing her expertise with us today. Enjoy the episode. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO Courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years and the Sakara Life organic meal delivery program is based on a whole food plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich, low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XO Courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now on to the episode. So thank you so much for joining us today, Greta. We're really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Um, To get us started, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your personal background, um, your journey, your own wellness, and then also how that kind of led you to the work that you currently do? Sure. Um, So I I grew up in California. Um, I have two children and I... um, uh, have a master's degree in evolutionary biology. Um, And that kind of influenced me because my background is in science. And so I tend to look to science to find a lot of answers. Um, And uh, when I had my first son, I I have two children, one of them's 16, oh my God, and one of them's 11. And when I had my first son, it was um, a long, long birth. 
and um, I ended up with a cesarean section. And um, after he was born, I felt um, a little bit weak and my regular movement patterns and my regular exercise patterns kind of fell apart. Um, and then I, I kind of hurt my back a little bit, which you know happens to so many people. Actually, one third of all people in the world have had some sort of back problem. And then I had my second son, I thought nothing of it. And about 18 months after I had my second son, um, I hurt my back again, like I threw my, I threw a disc. And, um, and, and then after that, that thrown a disc feeling, I was moving around the house trying to, um, you know, do the general mom stuff. And all of a sudden I was in like searing pain and my whole leg was paralyzed on the left side. And I didn't know what I was gonna do. I had a baby, I had a four-year-old, it was chaos. And I had to kind of climb out of that place. Um, and the way that I did it was through learning about my body and learning about why, why this happened. I just needed to know. Um, and through that process of learning, I came to a point where um, Pilates, um, started to, to solve some of those problems, solve, answer some of those questions. And, um, and from there, I, I, I learned a lot more about how my body um, had responded to both my first and second pregnancy, and just in general about my body and the way it moved. And I created a pelvic floor uh, health and wellness workshop with all of the knowledge that I had accumulated answering my own questions because I felt like a lot of women tend to experience these kinds of things. And then from that workshop, I created an online course. And now I'm going around telling people how important it is to learn about this because I discovered that it was so important and integral to the way that our bodies move and stabilize. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And, oh, I have so many questions off the bat, but First, first, so that must have been so terrifying, right? Like even now as I'm entering, I'm fully into my 30s now, um, I'm starting to notice like aches and pains and all of this stuff. And it is a little scary, <laughs> but um, my question for you to start off is when you were, like you said, when after that incident happened, you started exploring your body to find out why this happened. So why did it happen? Right? Like, what did you discover? Why did that happen to you? And how was the pelvic floor involved in that? That's, that's fantastic. I love that question. Um, so what I discovered and what I, I kind of felt it in my body, but, but I needed to do a lot of research. Um, and one thing that I discovered is that the pelvic floor isn't just the bottom of your pelvis. The pelvic floor actually is better described as kind of a pelvic bowl and it goes up into the sides of the pelvis and it actually incorporates a lot of the hip muscles as well, the hip rotators, the hip flexors. And um, all of those muscles together create kind of this, um, this uh, 
bottom of, of, of a six-sided box. So the pelvis doesn't work by itself. It's connected to the abdominal muscles. It's connected to the back muscles. And actually the pelvic muscles are connected also to the diaphragm. And so with our pelvic floor, along with the pelvic floor, all of these other muscles in your abdomen create this six-sided box, or you can even think about it like a tube of toothpaste or maybe a soda can. So this kind of structure that's encompassed all around and enclosing fluid on the inside. And as an evolutionary biologist, I go, oh, that's something called a hydrostatic skeleton that's found in worms and snakes and all sorts of animals, even spiders' legs. Um, but the hydrostatic skeleton has something really cool about it in that when all of the muscles are interacting together from all six sides of this three-dimensional thing, and they are all squeezing together into this water-filled cavity, um, it creates a really solid structure. So if you think about like a water balloon inside of a box, if you squeeze all the sides of the box all evenly, eventually you're going to push up against the water balloon. And if you're pushing evenly, it becomes like a really hard brick, like a, like a solid structure. And I discovered that that hydrostatic skeleton inside of us, that, that solid structure is actually what keeps our spine and our ribs and our joints all um, connected and all not connected, all supported. And, um, and if that structure is somehow compromised, like for example, when you have a weak pelvic floor or maybe a diastasis, which is a separation of the abdominal muscles after birth, um, then that's like putting a hole in that box, right? Then when you squeeze the water balloon, the water balloon could, could come out and all of a sudden the box is no longer stable. And so we lose stability in our spine. We can lose stability in our pelvis just because that, that core hydrostatic skeleton is compromised. So that's something I learned, which I felt like, oh my gosh, everybody needs to know that the pelvic floor isn't just about sex and it isn't just about sort of birth, but it's actually the structure that's paramount to our, our body's structural stability. Thank you for sharing that. I think the way you break it down is it's easy to see in that way too, and understand its function. Um, I also know that oftentimes, I think I know this just because a, a friend's a good friend growing up was a, a, a physical therapist who, who focused on pelvic floor dysfunction and incontinence too. And that's something that comes up a lot. And I think as we were chatting a little bit before the show or before we started recording, you were saying that like, you know, or Erica may have mentioned there's, there's a lot of shame sometimes attached to this region or, um, trauma sometimes attached to the region. And like you said, it's not just, um, yeah, maybe it's sexual, maybe it's, uh, from a birth experience, but it can also be because a lot of our other like organs are down there too. Um, and people suffer as, especially as they age or even after giving birth with like incontinence issues, which is something that nobody likes to think about and talk about. Um, but yet it can be really difficult when you're 
dealing with it. And I think it's quite common. I don't know statistically how many people suffer with it, but I know men and women can. Um, so there's so many functions of this region of the body, like so many (laughs) things sort of connected to it. So I'm curious, um, you know, as you developed more and more understanding for your own back issues and and the things, the pain that was going on, and then you discovered Pilates, you know, how did you start to use that and functional movement to understand really what the, the, I guess the movement of Pilates, the, the exercise, um, that it's based in. I know that like Joseph Pilates was the founder of it and it was created for dancers originally. And then it became trendy mainstream because people can get super fit from doing it. But like really when you started to understand the functional movement components of it, um, how did you then start to relay that to your own physical well-being, and, and what kind of changes did you see start to happen or feel start start to feel. So I, yeah. So, um, first of all, incontinence, I, it, it is in actually 60% of all women that have given birth have some sort of, uh, urinary incontinence, either stress urinary incontinence or, um, urge urinary incontinence. There's kind of two, two kinds. And then actually, um, one in 20 women who have given birth and you think, oh, one in 20, but that's a lot actually suffer from fecal incontinence as well after having given birth. And it does have to do with the the structural sort of support that the pelvic floor gives all of those organs in there. And um, so, yeah, just in discovering Pilates, one of the things that I learned in my research before I came to Pilates was um, that in order to access the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor is kind of this complicated Um, set of like nine different muscles, all that are kind of working together front to back, side to side, and even into the hips. And so in order to access those muscles and be able to kind of provide the the lift and engagement that the pelvic floor um, needs, um, two things. First, the pelvic floor has co-contractors. So the inner thighs, the adductors, and the, the core, the transversus abdominis muscle. So that's the deep most muscle inside of your core. When those two muscles are on, the pelvic floor automatically comes on. It's a co-contractor. And so um, that basically means that when you're accessing your inner thighs and your core together, um, that pelvic floor starts to come on automatically. And Pilates has a lot of exercises like that. Um, and so that's one thing I noticed in my in my research, and one thing that I really appreciated about Pilates, and and at, in having done Pilates now for a very long time, I don't want to date myself, but maybe like twenty years, whoa, long time. Um, I have I have when I after I had my children, I um, I had a lot of incontinence that's gone away. Um, and a lot of the core strength that I felt like I lacked and the reason why I felt like I had this big back injury um, has, has really gone away and I've developed a much stronger core. I'm capable of doing all of the stuff that I didn't think I could when I first injured my back going into an extension. So kind of arching your back um, was really painful. And now I'm, I'm capable of doing that. And so it was all a matter of strengthening the muscles. 
And in fact, Joseph Pilates, he actually originally created uh, Pilates for um, World War I soldiers. So Pilates was actually a rehab uh, group of exercises. And his first reformer was actually built off of the bed and the springs of a bed of an army cot. And so, wow, I didn't know that, you know, I grew up with so many dancers and I just thought it was like a ballet thing and then it became mainstream, but I didn't know like the true origin. That's fascinating. So he, he, he was in a prisoner of war camp and he, um, was trying to help all of these people. He had a background as a boxer and he was very interested in health in general. And then um, he kind of saw the writing on the wall between World War I and World War II. And he's like, ooh, I'm out of here. So he actually picked up his practice and he and his wife moved to New York. And it just so happened that they rented a building that was like a block away from the New York City Ballet. And so that relationship developed after he had uh, moved to New York. So, but it was, it was very much in the realm of ballet and dancing for a long time. And then in the 1970s, he kind of had these disciples that went out and said, hey, this is actually rehabilitative. It's not simply an exercise regimen for people who wanna you know, look really pretty. Um, but it's actually meant, it originated as a rehabilitative movement regime. And so they took it around the world and now there's, it's all over the place. And there's lots of different kinds. There's like classical, contemporary, rehab-based. Well, and so I guess that's my question too, is, is all Pilates then rehabilitating for your pelvic floor or does it need to, do you need to go into Pilates or into pelvic floor recovery with that intention? Or if somebody is listening and maybe they don't have severe issues at the moment is just adding Pilates, like you mentioned, because these movements already are helping, is it beneficial on its own? Or if you are dealing with something serious, should you kind of find somebody who is trained in more rehabilitative Pilates? So I think if you're dealing with something serious, you should find an expert always. But I also think that Pilates is um, really restorative for the pelvic floor, simply based on the movements that are kind of inherent within the practice. Um, That being said, there are Pilates teachers that will teach a series of movements and kind of Um, find modifications or find um, ways that you can accomplish exercises, even if maybe you can't achieve the ideal exercise. Um, and, And there are all different ways. But to be honest, I think any kind of movement is really restorative. Um, One of the other things that I wanted to mention about the pelvic floor, I I mentioned that it's actually connected muscularly to the diaphragm. Um, But actually it's interesting because the diaphragm, you know, moves up and down as we breathe. And in order to maintain that under pressure, you know, um, fluid filled cavity that we have, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor actually move together. So as you exhale and the diaphragm lifts, the pelvic floor lifts as well. And as you inhale and the diaphragm kind of dives downwards to help you suck in all that air, the pelvic floor lengthens and dives downwards as well. And so it's almost like this sump pump that's moving even as you breathe. 
One of the first things that I do with my clients is, especially if they're coming to me for specific pelvic floor weaknesses, are, is to actually start with breathing exercises. And I mean, you can even just do a breathing exercise right now and we can feel the pelvic floor if you want to. Yes, let's do it. Let's, okay. if anybody's listening, you can pause or come back here or do it with us. If you're driving, please pause and come back. But yeah, I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay. So put your hands wide on your rib cage, kind of right underneath your armpits. And then sit with your knees level with your pelvis and your feet flat on the floor, kind of about hip distance apart, maybe six inches. Okay. So I want you to bring your awareness to the sits bones that you're sitting on. So you're sitting up nice and tall on those sits bones and then take a nice big deep breath, open wide into the rib cage. So you're inhaling into your hands. And then as you exhale, your hands will get narrow. And I want you to find a little lift between those two bones that you're sitting on. Try it again. Inhale, open into the ribs. Shoulders are resting. And then exhale, awareness into those six bones. Lift through those two bones and the pelvis. Good. Go ahead and release. Did you feel wow. it? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was really cool. That was cool. And it, you know, it's so funny. So many years ago, I was, I was studying classical voice and, you know, all of it's about when you deal with the anatomy, of, like as a singer, it's all about the diaphragm, but there was always joking about sing, like sing from your vagina. You know what I mean? Like sing, but now it's actually, you're showing us like the biological reason why it's like, you go actually deep into the pelvis when you're grounding and getting that breath in for the pitch support. So it's so interesting because thank you for taking us through that because I've never thought about it from my like sit bones. Like I knew to do it, but I yeah. never knew how the diaphragm and the pelvic floor or the, the pelvis muscles like work together. Work together. Yeah. In tandem. Yeah. Yeah. Everything starts with breathing. <laughs> yeah. It really does. Doesn't it? It does. Feel- Actually all movement starts with breathing. Let's just go there. <laughs> yes. And And, uh, we often do like deep breathing, um, you know, for events and stuff that we we have everybody start with it because of the way it just helps tap into our parasympathetic nervous system, you know, when we're holding that stress and actually that like segues not to get like, I was like, Oh, I, I digress, but actually that brings me to a point that you made that I'd love you to, um, elaborate on a little bit. You were talking a little bit about pelvic dysfunction in the context of incontinence, which as we know now, many, many people suffer with. And you said something fascinating to me because I've dealt with it a little bit, but something about stress and stress, Mm -hmm. stress, bladder or stress, whatever. And so it makes sense that breathing is a part of that sort of like therapeutic work. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you know, stress is different. It, it, it's harder to pinpoint than I threw a disc out, you know, a packed right. disc. So right. if you're working with someone who's having, um, maybe doesn't have like a lot of physical or like one particular physical ailment, but is dealing with sort of pelvic floor issues, maybe caused by stress. Cause I think a lot of people, a lot of our health issues 
really start from like this high stress response. How do you, um, how do you start with that? Like, where do you, where do you begin? Um, so, um, I, I want to answer that question in two different parts. First, I want to actually talk about what incontinence does in your body, because I think that's kind of a relevant way. And I also think that education about these things helps us to kind of understand what's happening. And so then we can kind of explore that. So first incontinence. So there's urge urinary incontinence and stress urinary incontinence. So the way the bladder works is your kidneys start, you know, taking and filtering out all this yucky stuff from your blood. And, and with water, all of those toxins get filtered out and they drip drip by drip from the kidneys down into the bladder. And then the bladder starts to get full, more and more and more and more full. So then your, your pelvic floor, the muscles underneath the bladder will start to feel this heavier and heavier and heavier sensation. And so those muscles will start to lift and lift and lift as your bladder gets heavier and heavier. So they kind of respond to each other. And then at a certain point, your bladder gets so stretched and so big that those muscles and your bladder send a message to your brain that says, I have to go to the bathroom. And you can actually put that off. You can say, no, thank you. Not right now. Um, and then eventually the, the bladder will get so full, your muscles will get so under strain, right? We know what muscle strain feels like. Um, that your, your bladder and your muscles will send a message saying, nope, you cannot put this off any farther. And then you have to go to the bathroom. Um, so urge urinary incontinence is when that message doesn't get relayed. Stress urinary incontinence is when the muscles are not toned enough, not tonic enough to be able to hold the, the urine up and in the bladder. And so when you're jumping on a trampoline or when you're running or when you cough, that pressure into the muscles of the pelvic floor um, will cause a little bit of urine to come out. However, the idea of stress in general causing bladder dysfunction or pelvic dysfunction issues is a very interesting one. Because again, coming back to the breath, when you're breathing, your diaphragm is moving up and down. When you're under stress, your breath becomes very short. Your diaphragm has a lot less movement. Now, if you were doing bicep curls and you only curled two inches, that's not gonna make your bicep very strong, is it? So if you're under stress and you're breathing really shallowly, all of those muscles of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor are not moving very well. And so they're not strong. And so there, then you end up with these kind of incontinence issues. Um, another dysfunction is a prolapse and a prolapse is an extreme version of some of that weakness in the pelvic floor where the muscles are simply, not only are they not strong enough to hold a heavy bladder up and in and hold the urine in, but also they're not strong enough for the, the um, uh, uterus or the rectum or um, any of the other structures. And so they can actually completely fall out, which is another very painful pelvic floor dysfunction. That was a long answer to a very interesting question though. I liked it. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. I have been using their baking soda free deodorant exclusively for over two years. 
This gentle aluminum-free baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands and each and every time I was plagued with red itchy bumps under my arms on top of feeling not confident at all that I did not smell. Milk and honey not only never once gave me those pesky red bumps, but also passed the smell test, even after an intense spin and hit class. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. And for our local to Los Angeles listeners, Milk and Honey has the most amazing spa that just opened in Brentwood in West LA after being the go-to spa with multiple locations in Texas for so long. They offer facials, body treatments, massages, and so much more at their beautiful new space. I recently had a massage at the Brentwood location and it was a lovely experience. We are so happy that Milk and Honey Spas are now in LA. And of course, their online boutique is just the best if you aren't local. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. Their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring listeners and clients an all-access accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, Patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual events, recipes, awesome giveaways, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month. To learn more and become a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash courageous wellness or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. No, it's really, it's really helpful. And I think on the other end of that, and we've done a couple episodes on this, which is painful sex, right? Mm -hmm. Um, be it from, we've done from endometriosis to um, vaginismus and different things, right? There can be a lot of reasons why um, people have painful sexual intercourse. So I was wondering when we're dealing with that, is the treatment different? Is Or is it still 
the same because now we're dealing with, right. I I don't know. I would imagine more tightness, right. Or something. Yeah. Like a contracting. So in one sense, yes. And in another sense, no, in, in cases where you have, um, um, cause to, to seek out physical therapy care for your pelvis because you have some diagnosed issues, the treatment would be different. And part of a physical therapist treatment would be to, um, you know, directly explore the muscles of the pelvic floor and vagina. Internally, right. Right. For me, I always, always start my clients with breath. Um, and whether it's a hypertonic, super tight pelvic floor muscles, which are causing immobility, um, oftentimes that can cause back pain for other reasons, or a super lax, a super, you know, loose pelvic floor muscles, both of those, I think we need to start with movement. We need to start with being able to both lengthen and contract the muscles of the pelvic floor. And it, it sounds funny, but when I start my, um, my incontinence or my prolapse clients on breath, often they're like, Oh, this is not, this is making me feel looser in some ways. And I say, okay, settle, hold on, (laughs) give it a sec. Because when you exhale, you need to be able to find the strength to lift. And so at that point, then the client becomes aware of their own bodies and aware of what they need to work on. Whereas a, a, a person who has painful sex, a person who has um, tightness in their pelvis because their SI joint is unstable, or maybe they have some other sector, type of trauma that's causing tightness in their pelvis, those people the exhales very, very easy, but the inhale is very hard. And so I think both people, I start the same way, but they tend to read their bodies differently or notice their bodies differently. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's such an important part of the body. And I think, so I'd love to ask you now, because I'm sure a lot of your clients and a lot of maybe women listening who have chosen, um, to be mothers biologically, um, give birth. And what would you say is something, if someone wanted to maybe start the process of strengthening their pelvic floor prior to becoming pregnant or prior to, um, giving birth, what would that sort of like ideally look like for you as far as I'm sure, you know, the health benefits, whether you're going to give birth or not are there clearly as you're talking about them. But, um, if someone's new to this and thinks that they might want to become pregnant at some point, where should they start as far as their own, um, journey to kind of like, you know, train for, train for whatever Olympic event. I'm giving right. Away. Well, as, right? As, as the mother of a 16 year old, it definitely feels like a marathon, but, <laughs> um, I think first of all, um, studies have shown that like 12% of exercising women and something like over 80% of non-exercising women experience a diastasis. And an, a diastasis is natural. During the course of pregnancy, the, the topmost abdominal muscles, so the rectus abdominis, the six-pack muscles, will actually spread apart 
to the sides of the, the uh, abdomen and make room for this growing baby. And there's tissue in between, there's connective tissue in between that sort of stretches. And then after the baby is born, those muscles will grow back. But like I said, in exercising women, all of those connective tissues are very strong. The muscles are, are mobile and adaptable. And so they will grow back and, and be capable of functional control and movement very quickly after birth, probably about six to, to well, it takes about nine months actually to reform the, the uterus and the abdominal cavity. Um, but for, for non-exercising women, those, those connective tissues are not as, as filled with collagen and capable of bounce back. And those muscles are a little bit weaker and maybe not able to find that place where they need to be again. And so um, those women tend to develop something called a diastasis, which is a separation of the muscles at the front of the abdomen. And that can be permanent. And um, you can find functional strength with a diastasis, that's not, you know, a, a death sentence, but, um, but if I were, if I were starting over again and I knew that I was going to be having a baby, I would definitely make sure that I was exercising in a way that, um, supported my core. Um, the other thing that I think to specifically answer your question is I think that younger women tend to, um, put emphasis on, the, the more external muscles of the body. And I think that finding an awareness and finding a movement uh, patterns, movement uh, practices like uh, Pilates, for example, or other types of movement practices that, that um, really focus on sort of the more control aspects of muscle movement. Um, those muscles tend to be deeper and more, um, uh, like the pelvic floor, more responsible for joint mobility and things. And I think that focusing on those would really serve a woman who's planning to get pregnant. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, while you were talking to a question came to my mind, if there are any movements or exercises that are particularly not great for our pelvic floor. I mean, I can already think of, I'm sure like I love to spin and I can't imagine that that's great <laughs> over my pelvic floor. Um, but I just, not that anyone should stop doing things that they love, but, but <laughs> yeah. So, so is there, I, but yeah, I just thought this question came to my mind and in case it's coming to anybody else's who's listening, if people are, be it preparing for pregnancy or struggling with back pain, different things, or even maybe the, the painful sex there, is there anything that people should not avoid, but maybe, maybe do be more mindful of in terms of exercise? I think that, um, one thing that I think is really challenging to the pelvic floor is when you put uh, stress on it. And I mean like mechanical stress. And so if you think about the, the body and the pelvic floor as part of that hydrostatic skeleton. So going back to that original idea of this, this, um, abdominal cavity that's slightly under pressure. And so when you increase the pressure in this abdominal cavity, it pushes out on the walls, right? And so anytime, for example, you lift a 15 pound kettlebell up above your head, you're gonna be increasing pressure on the pelvic floor. And when you increase pressure on something, when you kind of try and push out on the sides of that six-sided box, 
it's going to stretch the muscles a little bit. Now, if you're working in such a way that you're releasing the kettlebell, lifting the pelvic floor and finding that stretch and strengthen, then I think you're good. But if you aren't aware of your pelvic floor, if you don't know how to access the muscles in that area and you, you your brain doesn't know how to connect to the feeling of, of accessing those muscles, and you're lifting up a kettlebell or you're lifting heavy weights or even lifting your legs up in the air, like in a, a crunch position and you're unsupported, um, then that's increasing stretch and kind of lengthening those muscles. And over time, you know, that's not a great thing. That makes so much sense. I didn't even think of like strength. Like it just makes so much sense visually, um, for me now. Um, so thank you for that. And you know, I know you work with people virtually and I'd love to just, um, talk about that for a moment, because even as you're talking about this, I was like, oh, wow. In this last year or two years of people primarily working out from home and doing different things at home, um, injury or right. Like lifting that kettlebell incorrectly (laughs) seems much more, um, realistic. So how do you, I know you have an incredible practice, but maybe you could talk to our listeners about what it is like to work with you virtually and what that experience is like. Sure. Um, I have a lot of clients that I work with virtually. Um, we do a lot of mat work and oftentimes I send them a little care package of exercise, um, props and tools so that we can work together. Um, A lot of the clients that I work with virtually are pelvic floor clients. And so I end up watching them very carefully. And we like to set up a system where I make sure that they're, you know, lit and that I can focus on their movements. Because a lot of times the difference between uh, a movement that's supportive and a movement that's maybe less supportive is, you know, a couple of inches to the to the left or to the right or tuck your tail underneath you or kind of lengthen your spine or these kinds of things. And so it is difficult to observe that over Zoom, but but we do our best. Another thing that I have have done um, specifically for the pelvic floor is that I created an online class um, because I was giving this pelvic floor workshop in person um, five or six times a year and it was getting very crowded and people were very interested in the information. Um, And so I decided to create an online course, which is on my website, stillpointmovement.com. And the course actually goes through the anatomy and physiology of the pelvic floor, the functional movement of the pelvic floor, a lot of different um, pelvic floor dysfunctions. And then it includes a set of 12 exercises that you can do at home. And then, you know, buying the course online, I like to work with my clients online. So we work through those 12 exercises. Um, And so that's another way that my pelvic floor clients specifically um, have been able to kind of keep up with their health, well-being, and and actually rehab um, over over this this past year. But one thing I did want to say is that I think that learning about anatomy and physiology and the way that the pelvic floor specifically, but in general, the way that your body works is so important. Because I think that women in general, like you were talking a little bit before about how it's like kind of taboo to talk about pelvic floor dysfunction issues and women feel, um, 
I mean, some of it's trauma, but some of it's just embarrassment, or maybe you talk about it, you feel strong and empowered talking about your body, but, but maybe your doctor doesn't listen very well. I had a very good friend of mine who was having lower back pain and, um, you know, she came to me with lower back pain. Uh, she was like, I, I went to go see my doctor. He told me I needed to lose weight and that was it. And, um, you know, I gave her some, some more anatomical words and some, a, a way of understanding her body so that then she could go back to her doctor and, and use those words so that he understood her better. So learning the language of healthcare can help women better access that care. And so part of what I wanted to do with that online course and with all of all of my work, actually, whether it's online or in person, part of what I consider myself as an educator of anatomy and physiology to my clients so that they can advocate for themselves. And um, I think that as women, you know, if if there's a like a critical mass of women that start learning about the anatomy and physiology of the pelvic floor and how it works, then we can actually advocate for better health care for all women. Um, so that that was kind of the, the, the bigger the bigger goal of of teaching women about the pelvic floor. Thank you, Greta. That's so important. And Erica and I often talk about learning to become our own health advocates. Um, and that's part of what we, you know, are one of our larger goals with the podcast too, and why we explore people's stories. But I think what you just shared is really, um, like a real sort of beneficial step in that process, which is understanding your anatomy or educate or getting an educator to help you understand and have the vocabulary so that you can better communicate too. Um, because then it's less likely for certain things to be ignored. And we talk, we talk a lot about, you know, sometimes it is intuitive. Like I had a a diagnosis or a misdiagnosis or lack of a diagnosis because I was told to ignore something. And in my case, it was like, "Mm, no, I'm going to listen to the fact that like, this doesn't feel right. But oftentimes it's like, I go to, you know, I, whomever goes to a medical professional who wants to, to help, but doesn't have, if, if you don't have the ability to communicate what is really going on, sometimes that can easily be, um, overlooked. So thank you for providing those tools to the people who work with you. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that if, if we were able to kind of speak the language of the clinician, then, then that's kind of a form of advocacy. It's like education is a form of advocacy for women in women's health. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think if anybody is listening and your doctor says you just need to lose weight and that's the reason of your ailment, I'm not saying that that couldn't be truthful in some form, but there's so much fat phobia in medicine that it's unsurprising that that was what your friend was told when they had, it wasn't their weight. Right. I I just remember reading something, um, about this woman who had so much pain and was told over and over and over again, it was due to her weight. 
And she lost all the weight to prove to her doctors it had nothing to do with the weight. And they finally took her seriously after she lost the weight. And there's so many stories like that. So, um, yeah, sorry, a tangent, but if any of our listeners are going to the doctor and they're simply being told, Oh, that is due to your weight, just lose some weight. Um, don't just take that at yeah, learn, advocate for yourself (laughs) words that your doctor will understand. Also, she had five kids and she was struggling in so many ways. So he, he needed to listen to her a little bit better, but sorry. Anyway, (laughs) women are here for, because we as a collective group can like level up (laughs) the, the care for all of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. (laughs) And I actually have one little, this is a little bit of a tangent, but most of, you know, most of our listeners are women or identify as women. And, um, that being said, there are, there are some men out there (laughs) um, that are listeners. And I feel like oftentimes like the pelvic floor, because of all the sort of childbirth and, and (laughs) menstrual stuff and urinary stuff, all the stuff that like typically women have to deal with, um, more. Yeah. But, but we're, but men have pelvic floors too. Absolutely. (laughs) Muscles. They're slightly different. Um, they're not different muscles, but they're in a slightly different place, at least the lower. So there's like three layers of the pelvic floor going back to anatomy a little bit. Um, there's three layers of pelvic floor, the, the lowermost layer, the one that's the closest to the outside that, that layer has muscles that are the sort of the architecture of the penis and the vagina. They have the sphincter muscles. Sphincters are circular muscles that will close, um, like the drawstring of a purse. Then the second, so though that layer is different in men and women. Um, the second layer is actually a layer of fascia, which is a, a type of connective tissue that helps to transmit force and, and nutrients and all sorts of stuff. It's amazing. I actually have worked coming out fairly soon about fascia education, um, talking about kettleballs and things like that too. Anyway, um, and then the third most layer, the one that's all the way inside, that layer is the same in men and women. And that is the layer, the layer that has all of that musculature that's very supportive for that, you know, hydrostatic skeleton. I in fact had a client who was, who came to me He had been going to a pelvic floor PT for a very long time. He was um, a policeman and um, he had been kind of attacked by a a criminal and, um, and he was shoved to the side and his, he, he got really injured, a big trauma to his pelvis. And, um, and he had been going to a pelvic floor PT and they had been doing a lot more invasive work on him and and he came to me and I, you know, we, we started working through some of the sort of general stuff that I, I, I do with my pelvic floor patients right at the beginning. And he just started crying because he just felt like um, it was such a trauma to have this area be in pain. Um, and so it, it, it isn't just, um, women, it's men too. And, and we can, and men can actually also get diastasis as well, diastases as well. So yeah, working with both men and women help to kind of let them understand what those muscles do and how they work. 
Yes. So if there are any men listening, um, <laughs> you know, you can, you can work on yours as you can work on your pelvic floors as well. Um, yeah. And they serve so much, like you said, we've covered so much, but there's so much kind of what goes on in the body, like every single day kind of lives in that general area. So, um, it's an important part of the body to not neglect. Exactly. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, um, yes. So thank you so much for joining us today. You know, like we could talk forever, but as we begin to wrap up, we always ask our guests, uh, three questions as wrap up questions. So the first one is, um, what does your daily self-care look like? You are a practitioner. You're constantly working with others and helping others and a mom of some teenage boys. So (laughs) how do you take care of yourself and what are your non-negotiables? Um, uh, I like to practice Pilates at least three days a week. That is a non-negotiable. I close the door of my studio. I come in here. I don't put any music on. I just have it quiet. And I work through the motions that my body needs. Um, sometimes I do it with a teacher, so I'll get my own teacher and, and she and I will work together. Other times I'll just do it myself. Um, I think going for walks in the morning is another form of self-care. I like to move in the morning. I like to get up early. I like how it smells. I like how peaceful it is. I live a little bit out in the country, so it's very nice in the morning. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I guess those are my two kind of non-negotiables. Everything else right now, oh my goodness, is up in the air. Kids, school, work, ugh, everything seems so chaotic. It's nice to take a couple of moments for me to move in a happy way in the quiet peacefulness. That That's my self-care. It's beautiful. Thank you, Greta, for sharing that. Um, the next question we always ask is, what does being courageous mean to you? Oh. I think being courageous means um, doing things that may seem hard for your future self. I think that doing things for your future self looks like, you know, doing Pilates at the age of 40 so that when you're 60, you can still be mobile. I think that doing things for your future self looks like, um, I don't know, my 16 year old doing his homework on time so that it doesn't have to wait, doesn't have to do it at the last minute. Um, Eating healthy food so that you can, um, you know, feel good in your body. Yeah, I think being courageous is, is maybe doing a favor for your future self. I like that. And then the final question is, do you have any book recommendations for our listeners? It could be truly on anything. Um, just something that's meant something to you. Um, I like uh, a recent book. It's called Breathe. I don't remember the author. It's a big yellow cover. And I read through it and I was just like, oh my God, this is life-changing. Um, and I love the book called Your Inner Fish, which is an evolutionary biology book about human bodies. And it talks about how, um, how our bodies kind of came to be. And um, the last one is called exercise with a Z. And um, that one is about how 
bodies that were not built to exercise the way we exercise now can find health and find movement and find care in the modern ways that we exercise. Yeah, I, I like those three books. Those are my favorite ones. Thank you so much. Very cool. Well, we uh, really appreciate you sharing all your knowledge with us today. And if anybody wants to find you, listen, uh, work with you, follow you, all those things on the internet, where can they do that? So I have a website. It's called stillpointmovement.com. And um, you can find me there. You can contact me there. You can find the online course there. There's a lot of information, some blog posts if you're interested in knowing more about hydrostatic skeletons or fascia. Um, it's just a place to find good education. And um, I also have an Instagram, which is at still and then like a point, like a dot, still point movement. So those are the two places I am. Thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it as well. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.